I was in this uh, community group, they called it a cell group at the time, and uh, we had this uh, quite clear structure about how the group had to run. And uh, so we thought a really cool thing to do would be to split up the structure and just kind of farm it out to people to, to do different parts on different nights. And uh, so we farmed out one part of uh, the night's um, discussion to one particular person, and th th there wasn't anything particularly wrong with them. We thought they'll be fine, they'll be able to nail this. And it was the icebreaker, which was at the start. And they kind of said, the structure we were following was like, have an icebreaker so people can get to know each other more, right? So an icebreaker is like a funky question that everyone thinks is really interesting and you want to find out some dirt on someone else. And it's lots of fun, right? So this person came this night with this icebreaker. They, they said, what would be the worst way that you'd like to die? Well, you wouldn't like to die. That's a really warming kickoff to a night, isn't it? So you've got things like people getting eaten by sharks, being burnt alive, car crashes, you know, you get all those kind of things that kind of come into it. But you know what? I actually think Christians generally, or religious people probably more specifically, are pretty well known for finding out the most macabre ways to kill people. All right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So this morning, uh, I just want you to know this morning, I'm not rousing on you, right? at all. That's not my intention. But I do just want to throw some stuff out there. I have spent uh, most of my life in a church that tends towards uh, religiosity, and that's the Presbyterian church because my dad's been a pastor for uh, all of my life. Okay, So uh, I'm just going to share some of that stuff. If some of it sticks for you, then make it stick and do whatever God wants you to do with it. But I'm just putting, out, putting it out there because the truth is that churches can be brutal. All right? They can be really, really brutal. And the, the truth is uh, that most of you here, if you haven't come from TCC when you came with the church plant, you've come from a church that you had issues with or they had issues with you and it was just messy. Okay? Some of you just going, I think my kids need me. <laughs> um, but we're going there. All right? The truth is religious people can be like the Romans with crucifixion. Let's make and think about the most painful way that someone could die and then extend it as long as we possibly can. All right? It's kind of like a Hollywood death. It seems to take forever for the person to expire. We're pretty happy, or churches generally, religious people in churches are pretty happy with that actually happening. Uh, I've seen this with my own father. My dad is not perfect. All right? He's never been a perfect pastor. He's never made all the right decisions. I've been an elder in a church where he's been the senior pastor and I haven't agreed with all the decisions he's made, right? But he has been treated absolutely brutally sometimes by people in churches. Absolutely brutally. And he's, let me tell you a couple of things about my dad's time as a pastor in the Presbyterian church. One of the things that was almost like clockwork for a period of time in his life is he would go away on Christmas holidays for four weeks and he would come back and a number of the elders had all bandied together and he had a mutiny on his hands and they just wanted to take him down. All right? And it's not like the Presbyterian system actually isn't like a lot of other church government systems where the pastor's kind of God's two I see. Right? Um, the Presbyterian system is they're all equals. Right? So all of a sudden you've got a problem because there's going to be a democratic vote, democratic vote, democratic vote, in the eldership, and if he's on his own, he's, he's losing, all right? I'm not going to go into the system, but that's, that happened on so many occasions, it was, uh, it was kind of staggering, right? And one of the particular forums 
that uh, was particularly a bloodbath in the Presbyterian church is they actually um, had this thing called congregational meetings, right? So there was a whole bunch of things in the church that could only be decided by a congregational vote, all right? That's interesting, right? We're, at the project here, we're really interested in what you think, okay? But when you look biblically, it's really difficult to find a democratic vote that goes well, all right? It's, it just, most of the time it doesn't, right? The first one, as far as I can tell, um, is uh, where the, uh, the Israelites decide they want a king and God goes, eh, wrong, all right? And it was like the democratic vote, all right? And... Uh, is this, uh, I'm into this website called despair.com and it's got this uh, statement that says, uh, uh, idiocy I think it's called, it says never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups, alright? Which, to be honest, there's probably some similarity to what happens in church, right? You get a bunch of, I'm not saying who's stupid, but you get a bunch of stupid people in a big group and they can turn a whole group and all of a sudden you're doing something you never thought you'd be doing and it's, all the life's gone out of it and it just gets really, really messy. So in uh, the Prezi church, you'd have these things called congregational meetings, right? And things wouldn't go through or things could get blocked at a con congregational meeting, right? So we're all coming into these congregational meetings. There's people coming in, in wheelchairs we've never seen before. There's people that are like 35 years past the oldest person who's ever lived, right? And they're coming in. We're just, I don't know where they came from, right? It's almost like the parable that Jesus told, you know, go out in the highways and the byways and just bring him in, right? That's what they'd do in congregational meetings, and they were people who were uh, officially members of the church. And so they were kind of, I don't know, they're swinging. They weren't really swinging. They're probably the donkey voters, to be honest, because they knew nothing about what was happening in the church. So we just bring them all in. And then the power players can kind of have their way. I, I went and heard um, uh, Mark Driscoll personally a number of years ago. He's a pastor in, in the States of a Seattle church called Mars Hill. And he actually said the, the uh, proportion... The degree to which a church is on mission is inversely proportional to the number of complaints. All right? So if a church is, uh, is big time on mission, there's less complaints. If there's lots of complaints, they're probably not on mission. All right? They're not actually helping people to, to find Jesus. He talked about um, at his church how uh, there's sometimes he goes there and they have some hip-hop guy who's uh, leading worship. He said, I can't understand a word that he's saying and it's too loud. He goes, but then someone gets up in the middle of the service and said... They found Jesus and Jesus found them and they're saved now. And he says, I don't care what happened in the worship. All right? And that, I think that's a, a very insightful kind of statement. Let me make this clear. We don't get a lot of complaints from you. <laughs> but you know what? That doesn't necessarily mean that there are no complaints. All right? We actually heard, it was news to me last week, but I kind of thought it was already happening. But where's Hitsky last night said that, People have already left because of some messages or something I've preached. I don't know, you, you people must be lovely or uh, you're like the project crash test dummies or something. All right, you're still here. Listen, I mean, you know, I talked about, and you need to go back and listen to it because if you, if you want to know what I'm talking about, we t in the first conflict thing I talked about turtles and cowboys, right? You have those in the church too, okay? And you have the uh, guerrilla fighters, and you have the, uh, the tank drivers, all right? And the tank drivers are just kind of out there and they're, make, they're loud and proud and the guerrilla fighters in churches can be pretty quiet. And I, I don't know, I'd, I hope we don't have any. That's the bottom line. And I'm not standing up here saying, you're a bunch of gorillas. You're not, right? Because you're not furry and haven't got long arms. That's a bad joke. I shouldn't have said that one. 
You get what I'm saying? But the truth is there could still be conflict, okay? And that's what we're going to uh, deal with today. The really disturbing thing... Well, let me... I'm going to read you a quick scripture out of Psalm 55. Listen to this. This is what happens a lot of times in churches, I think. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant, his promise. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil yet they were drawn swords. And the bottom line is that there's a lot of you who have experienced that in church life and particularly just with other Christians. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Like they can say things that are really smooth, but you know it's just a, it's a knife, you know? My dad's had, as people have walked out, because of Presbyterian tradition, which we don't do here, uh, and I know you're all shattered about that, you look disappointed already, just get your tissues out and mop yourself up but the Presbyterian tradition is the pastor stands up the back and he shakes everyone's hand and he becomes the main transferer of uh, viruses up the back of the church as everyone goes out especially in winter when they cough into their hands but anyway he's the he's the carrier right up the back there and everyone everyone goes out the back of the church right and you know I'm not even making this up my my mum used to stand with him and mum's had a lady who had been very vocal and very clear about the fact that she wanted basically to take dad down in his leadership position and she'd come out and it was like the kiss of Judas. She'd give mum a kiss and a cuddle, keep going. My dad's had people come out of the church and as he's shaking hands with them, they slipped a note in his other hand that says practice what you preach. All right, And it's just really, really brutal stuff. The, the sad thing about this is uh, Jesus actually wrote well, sorry, he didn't write it, but he said in John 13, verse 34 to 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And we ought not skip over that too quickly. He's saying that, that the level of love that you should have for each other and that we should have with other Christians is the same as what he has toward us. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, the church, people ought to be able to look at the project or any church in Tormer and go, look at the way those people love each other. They must belong to Jesus. Is that, do you think that's true of the church generally? I don't think it is. I think the church is pretty well known for division. They're pretty well known. I mean... Crowley used to joke at the start of the project, he goes, the gift I bring to the church is the gift of division. <laughs> All right? But maybe, you get what I'm saying? Maybe the church has got the gift of division. You know? And that's why you guys don't know it. We don't have a huge amount of time to invest in it, but we try to plug into the other pastors in Highfields because it's not just our job to reach Highfields. God's going to work through a bunch of other churches as well, and we're st still plugged into TCC, and we're plugged into the church of the city in Toowoomba as well. All right? It's hard for us to get there because we don't have a whole lot of time, but it's important to do that. Another scripture which is uh, related to this is Matthew 5, uh, verse 9 on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In my experience in the church, we were not blessed with an overabundance of peacemakers in the church. Now, aren't they handy? All right? And just so that you know, a peacemaker is not someone that just is like a punching bag, you know, that never says anything. A peacemaker is someone who actually brings peace around the place. Like, that's an active role. It's not a passive role. And I, I actually think we've got some in the church here, which is really good. And if we had, out of 
there's probably, what, 70 of you, 80 of you in here? If we had like 20 peacemakers, it would be sweet. That'd have to work hard because things always come up, all right? But we'd be sweet. So what I want to do is I'm going to cover three, three or four, I can't remember. That's terrible, isn't it? I'm the one speaking today. I'm going to cover three or four main areas of conflict. The first one I'm going to cover is conflict between each other, right? So this is not, we're not talking about church vision or church leaders or whatever. We're just talking about conflict that you guys have. And here's some guidelines that we as a leadership would love to put out that we'd love you to follow. And we think they're biblical, all right? So here we go. First one's this. I'll give you six biblical guidelines. Technology doesn't work to resolve conflict, all right? Don't use it, okay? I, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Dilbert comic strips in uh, the newspaper, and there was this classic one I read years ago, and I thought, how good is it? Um, your ignorance seems to have no limit. Your opinions are idiotic. Your personal hygiene leaves much to be desired. Your family is ugly. Send email. You're mighty brave in cyberspace, flame boy, all right? <laughs> Isn't that how it works? All right, you get on technology, let's, let's be honest, someone who fights and has a conflict on technology using email, text message, Facebook, uh, it's really the act of a coward, all right? It's the act of a coward who doesn't want to have an eye-to-eye -eye conversation. And what it actually does is it actually re removes the, the necessity for me to actually deal with another person. You see, if I type an email or I do it on Facebook or I do it via chat or text message, I don't actually have to deal with an actual person and I actually get some kind of, I mean, Dutch courage used to be a bit of alcohol, right? And now it's probably technology, isn't it? I get on te technology and I can say whatever the heck I want to say and it can be as brutal as I want it to be and I don't have to worry about having to look at someone in the face. It tends to drag conflict on longer, all right? And a large part of the problem with using technology is you get less information. You see, I'm speaking to you now. I remember uh, a number of years ago they asked me to speak at the... Uh, combined service at Easterfest. And one of the things they said to me before I uh, got up is they said, you just want to make sure you get up and you have a good walk around and a good preach around up there before anyone's out there because it's totally different to normal. Now, when I'm speaking here now, I'm actually getting information from you. All right? You're getting information from me. You're not just hearing words, you're hearing intonation. You're seeing my facial expressions. You're trying to work out, is he cranky? Is he talking about me? He's not talking about you, just so that you know. All right? But you're getting lots of information, right? When you talk to each other, you get lots of information, right? The more technology you use, the less information you get. That's how it works, all right? Until basically you're left with uh, either small caps or uppercase, all right? And uppercase means I'm shouting at you, and small caps means um, it's guerrilla warfare, maybe. I don't know. I'm trying to butter you up for the kill, all right? I don't know. But that's kind of the way it works. And here's, here's the... Um, principle that the leadership's going to use with regard to conflict. We're going to, go, we're going to go to you face to face as much as we can because we want you to do it face to face as much as you can because you need to get as much information as you can to work something out. It's not about the issue, all right? It's not ultimately about the issue. It's about relationship. I'm going to get to that in a minute. So don't use technology, all right? Don't have a public slanging match on Facebook, all right? That is just not helpful at all, okay? And it's just not going to work. Here's, here's a guideline. The more important the relationship and the more intense the conflict, the less technology you should use. If it's something small, you can do it on a phone call probably, all right? But if it's big, 
Intonation and expression of words over the phone is not going to be enough. You're going to need to have a meeting with them face to face and, uh, and sort it out. That's the first thing. Don't use technology. Second thing, handle it quickly. All right? Handle it quickly. This is Ephesians 4, verse 25, 26, and 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth. Some of you go, yeah, let's have some more of that with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. You belong to each other. So speak the truth to each other. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So here's the deal. What does that mean? Now, some people, and I, I'm totally fine with this. If you're a married couple and you do this, that's fine. All right? But some people make the call, I'm never ever going to go to bed angry about a particular relational issue. I happen to believe that in marriage, through my own experience, that there are some times where it's a complex issue, a very complex issue, and it's just not going to be done in the next 20 minutes before we go to bed, all right? So you're probably just going to have to do it as much as you can, stick a post-it note on it, and then come back to it on another day. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? But the principle really is just get in, get your hands dirty, and get it sorted out. As quick as you can. True? So as I go through this, I'd love it for you just on the inside. I'm not going to put it on you, but I'd love it if you on the inside were just going, is that what I do? Do, do I move toward it? I, I read a... Uh, it had a number of expletives in it, but I thought it, some famous comedian in America wrote a, uh, a Facebook entry about the uh, Boston bombings. And he actually talked about um, the amazing people that ran toward the bombs. All right? So what happened is a bomb went off, and people, some people ran toward the injured people and a lot of people ran away. And he said, what about these amazing people that run toward it? That's the kind of courage that God wants you to have with conflict with each other, all right? You've just got to get it into your psyche that God wants you to run toward each other, not run away from each other. Does that make sense? And it might actually hurt more. I mean, these people running toward the bombs, a second bomb went off after they started running toward the first bomb, all right? And honestly, if the project was filled with people who got in conflict with each other and ran toward each other and even got blown up sometimes by a second bomb they didn't know was going to be there, that would probably be a pretty good sign to uh, people who didn't follow Jesus that we're Jesus' disciples. Does Jesus run toward people that blow him up? Yes, he does. All right, I'll just answer that one for you. Yes, he does. Right? And he runs with a great deal of haste. All right, if you go right back to Genesis chapter 3, when God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, he says, I want you to get out because I'm coming for you. I'm going to bruise the head of the snake. All right? right there, he's running toward them. All right? We need to run toward each other. Okay? And we need to do it as quick as we can in the most fruitful way. Now, sometimes people are going to need a bit of time to process stuff. Right? They're going to be upset and they're going to be hurt about stuff. And it might take a little while, right? But you can at least make your intentions clear that you want to be resolving it. True? Not in an irritating, nagging kind of way. Just like, obviously there's a big issue here, man, but really, I'm, I'm, just, I'm so keen to get this sorted out. And the truth is you're going to need time to sort out what you did too, all right? A bit like what Joe was sharing before. You just need to make sure you understand your own heart first. Is everyone okay? Is anyone wanting to leave the church already? Just raise your hand. We'll have a fight about it. No, we won't. Three. Always assume the best about the people that you work with or the other people in the church. 
Have you ever noticed this? Like there's people that you have stuff to do with and like they could do the smallest thing like not polish their car properly and you just go, you're an idiot, man. <laughs> you're a bad polisher and it makes you an idiot. All right? And you just, you got this thing inside of your head, you're just going, they've only got to do one little thing and they're back in the idiot category again, right? Now, just so that you know, an idiot is someone who's incapable of making a rational decision. So there's actually not many idiots in the world, okay? Just in case you, you wanted to know that. You probably didn't, but I just told you anyway. Look, love always assumes the best about someone. If you hate them or you can't stand the people you work with or other people in the church, then the best thing to do is to ask Jesus, what's wrong with your heart? Being crucified by someone is particularly irritating. <laughs> you with me? Jesus never asks us to do something that he doesn't do. All right? Now, Jesus knew what was in people's hearts, but he loved them anyway. He was able to love them anyway. Part of the problem with uh, conflict often is that we think we have the whole story. And so the thing blows up. We think, I've got the whole story. You've taken on some kind of divine view of yourself where you think I'm the ultimate lawgiver and judge of the universe, right? And based on what I know, you're guilty, man. And we just got to sentence you now, all right? Truth is that we actually have a very small slice of the story a lot of the time. Uh, number four, stop expecting people to read your mind. You ever notice this? Sometimes people say something hurtful to you and they don't even know it, right? Especially if you're here for the conflict stuff, especially the cowboys, yeah? They just put it out there, right? And they just, you know, they just enjoy the rest of their day. They're whistling away and you're just kind of going, I was really upset by that. You should know it. Well, they don't know it, all right? So part of the complication in, uh, in churches is uh, when people kind of say, you should know this, but they don't know, so maybe you need to tell them. I don't know, that's not really that complex, but we don't always do it. You know, so assume the best about them and just calmly walk them through why you're upset and what you're upset about. Fair enough? Anyone here ever had a situation where you've just gone up and told someone, look, I'm, I was a bit hurt by that, and I'm just going, man, I had no idea. Anyone? Show of hands? Cool. So we just do that more. All right? You probably need to do a little bit of business yourself because you might be upset about something Sometimes at school here in my job, and uh, Diff and uh, Nathan as well, we offend students, but the offence is a correct offence, all right? And they can be really upset and be, have some kind of personal issue with us. Um, so sometimes they've got to sort out what's going on uh, before you can get to the resolution. Um, number five, stop waiting for them to approach you. Okay? It's just like, well... I'm going to smoke them out. I'm just not going to say anything to them. They know that there's a problem. I'm waiting for them to come to me. That's messy, all right? We'd love for that not to happen in this church. And the a large part of the reason why is because Jesus said don't do that. All right? Here we go. Here's the scripture. Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Notice that? That's the offendee, not the offendor. All right? The offendee's gone to church, gone to do something, and he's just gone, or she's gone, oh, yeah, I remember. I've got an issue with one of my brothers or sisters. So what does Jesus say? Leave your gift there. Don't even offer it yet before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother 
and then come and offer your gift. It's more important to be recognised. In this category here, it's more important to be reconciled to your brother or sister than it is to offer the gift because probably the gift is not going to be received if the, uh, if the relationship's not sorted out. God's not that interested in it. All right. Now, I'm going to tell you a short little story, okay? And there's not one part of me that wants you to think, what an amazing family, and I wish my kids were like that, right? Because the Sondergill family is as messy as any family, okay? Now, you know, a little while ago, the, um, this was just an area where God obviously worked in one of my boys, and I won't even say which boy it is, right? But uh, a number of weeks ago, the project kids came, a bunch of project kids came in and had communion. Anyone here for that? Remember that? Cool. So, one of my boys came in, all right? And the previous night, I'd been uh, speaking with him about the fact that God kind of, well, he, he's killed people for taking communion incorrectly, all right? He's just gone, really? I'm just going, yeah, I'm going to show you the scripture, all right? So there's this scripture in Corinthians that says God took someone out because they didn't do communion properly, all right? So he's gone in his head, well, I, I just better make sure I get this right. Now, I'm doing the, the lead-in to communion. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about dealing with any, any, any of your issues and that sort of stuff. You know what he does? And I noticed it. And he stood up and he walked out. He's going, what's he doing? All right. Then he came back later and I thought, I oh, went to the toilet. I had something to do. Now, it turns out later that um, Ian said to me uh, that one of our boys went over to Project Kids and he said to, uh, he asked Ange if he could talk to his brother. And we didn't even know what it was, but we found out later, you know what happened is he remembered that he had an issue with one of his brothers and he went over and he wanted to sort it out before he had communion. All right? And you know what happened? This is a hard lesson for him. You know what happened is he got back and it was done. But isn't that that scripture? The gift's not as important as the reconciliation. So, and honestly, I mean, how many times, and maybe we should start including this, in our communion regime, but maybe we need five minutes where people just sort stuff out with each other. Isn't it challenging how kids, and I don't think he would be the only one that would do that sort of stuff, all right? So don't think, what a marvellous kid. No, it's just, what a marvellous God that actually moved in his heart that he had to go and do what God wanted him to do before he had communion. All right, let's, let's put the focus on God because I don't think natural people actually do stuff like this. They tend to fight. They still fight, right? So no, he hasn't turned into a perfect kid, all right? He's not perfect. He won't be perfect because his parents aren't perfect and we blessed him with imperfection, all right? But here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Isn't it amazing when kids just go, all of a sudden we're just going, what the heck are the adults doing? You know, like, and I'm, I'm not having a go at you, right? But in a group this size, what are the chances that one person's got an issue with someone else? Oh, pretty good. Maybe you don't, right? And that's cool if you don't. I'm not rousing on you, right? But what, what if you do? Just, wouldn't it be good, you know, if a dozen people at communion just stood up, walked out the back door, and they didn't have a punch-up out the back, right? But they actually sorted stuff out. True? That's, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And we ought to be encouraging. If you're a parent, you ought to be encouraging your kids in that direction. You just go, listen, here's... The heart issue and that God's not interested in, in outside, external, just formal kind of obedience, that's meant to come out of the heart. And if, if there's a problem at a heart level, you need to go and get it sorted out. 
And maybe we need to do that a bit more. Maybe. So maturity is when someone takes the responsibility and takes, seizes the opportunity to bring resolution rather than someone who sits back and waits for it to happen. All right. Last one. Six, never, ever go public when you have not even attempted to talk in private. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. All right? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17. Check this. If your brother sins against you, I mean, there's almost, I don't know whether there is, but it almost sounds a bit sarcastic. Jesus is going, hey, look, if anyone ever offends you, you're just going, are you serious? I'd probably buy the next 10 minutes. Sonder girl's going to offend me, right? So you might need my, I might need your forgiveness within 10 minutes, all right? But here's the thing. Jesus goes, if your brother sins against you or sister, go and tell them their fault. Some of you are going, oh, man, that's a scripture I've been waiting for my whole life, right? I'm just going to go around and just start telling people where they're wrong, right? But here's the thing. Between you and him alone. And listen to this. I love this next sentence. It says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. See, if you get all excited about going and just torching someone, right, you're not even thinking about gaining them. See, this is the way Jesus is going. He's going, you want to gain your brother. Now, the interesting thing is if you look contextually as to where this scripture actually falls, it falls in between the story of the lost sheep and Peter saying, how many times should I forgive my brother? All right? So the whole way Jesus is saying, I want you just to gain people. Gain through forgiveness. Jesus is going, I gain by looking for lost sheep. I want you to gain brothers by sorting things out. Gain sisters. If he does not listen, or if she does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a, tax, a Gentile and a tax collector. All right? So here's your process. Try and sort it out with them. Take someone else with you. Take one of the church leaders with you. All right? And if it's a significant issue, what will actually happen is the, uh, the church does something about it. All right? You guys are going, what do they do? All right? Well, you know what? I reckon a lot of my life I've read this and I've just thought, man, right, eh? So a Gentile or a tax collector, you can just give it to them. He's going, no, that's not what Jesus said, right? Because he actually loved Gentiles and he loved tax collectors and he actually had a tax collector on his team. All right? So here's the thing. If someone in the church is engaged in something that's destructive to them, destructive in a relationship and destructive generally for the church. It's the responsibility of the leadership to deal with that in terms of the inner working life of the church. Okay? Probably, I'm putting probably there because we're still working on some of this stuff, but probably that would mean that we would ask people not to be in community groups, not to be in the inner life of the church. Now, would they be free to come to church? Absolutely. All right? Will we still love them? Absolutely. Will we still pray for them? Absolutely we would, right? Because you do that for Gentiles and tax collectors. Fair call? But sometimes people are doing things and it's just destructive and harmful in the heart of the church. So I think, um, I think what Jesus is saying is get them out of the heart of the church. All right? One of the things that um, 
that Mark Driscoll kind of talks about it is he says, uh, church leaders need to, be, need to know when to shoot the wolves and protect the sheep. All right? Save the sheep, shoot the wolves. Okay? And some churches don't shoot wolves very well and, uh, and they just get into trouble. Okay? And some of you have kind of seen that happening. And others shoot sheep, <laughs> which as you can imagine is a problem too. Okay? You're, you're not wanting to kill the sheep. That's kind of not the idea if you're a shepherd. All right? You're meant to be herding the sheep, not shooting them. Okay? But you do need to, right? Now, okay, I'm going to say this. A couple of weeks ago, we had a guy come to the church here, and he's probably even going to listen to this, right? So I'm just going to be careful how I say this. We had a guy come to the church that writes stuff about churches. He reckons he attends about eight churches a day, right? And to be honest, I think he's up to no good, okay? You can go and find out. We're probably on his website now. There's churches in town that have uh, told me that he literally pulls out a video camera and he starts videoing in the midst of prayers. Like they'll start praying in the church and they'll start videoing people. He was videoing in our car park out there. All right? Pretty good chance that guy's a wolf. Right? And to be honest, um, you might think uh, this is a bit rough. We want to love people and we think God can change people, but I don't want people to come in here and abuse anything and take advantage of anyone. Okay? So probably if the guy comes back, I'm going to tell him he's not welcome, okay? Because I don't think he came here with any kind of good intentions, okay? And that doesn't mean, like if you're not a Christian here today, don't think, oh, he's going to kick, I'm not going to kick you out, right? I'm just not having someone come in here and abuse other people by taking video of them and writing notes about them on a public website when they're not, they don't really have decent intentions. Is, is everyone okay with that? And I kind of think that's our job as a leadership to make sure we look after you guys, all right? And so at one point in time, I, I didn't have a conversation with him. I asked Nathan to go out and talk with him because he was talking to one of, one of the mums in the church, all right? And he, the interesting thing, he, just, he only talked to ladies. All the people he talked to pretty much were ladies. And I'm just going, well, uh, you just need to find your car keys, all right? And stick them in the right spot, which is not up your nose, but in your car, all right? And then turn it, all right? Put the car under drive and start driving. Okay? But please don't hear that and just go, Sondergeld's after. Sondergeld's not after you, right? Sondergeld's after wolves. That's what he's after, right? So if you're just coming to check things out, that's fine. Okay? So no one's freaking out, I mean. Is that okay? Maybe I'm the only one freaking out. Okay. This is going to get even more fun yet. Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, as I said before, is, uh, is Peter goes on to say, uh, how many times should I forgive my brother? All right? It's all about gaining your brother. It's about loving people and bringing people together. I don't think that guy is interested in loving people and loving Jesus. All right? uh, he thinks he is, kind of the website. Um, he thinks he's doing the community a service, but I think he's doing a disservice. All right, number two, what about if you have a disagreement over the church's vision? Direction. This is, where it, this, is, this is where it gets fun for the leadership and for me in particular. Um, why would you leave a church? A bunch of you just going, all right. Would you leave a church because it's not fun? Would you leave a church because it's not good at doing what you're good at doing? I reckon this is one of the craziest things that I see in churches around the place is people go to a church 
like they might be the they might have like a master's degree in setting up chairs all right and they come in and they go this is a shambles i'm going to one that knows how to do it you just go well what do you reckon maybe god actually brought you along to the church all right i actually think one of the things you should be looking for when you're looking for a church is okay well how does how does my skill set my passions and my giftings fit in with where this church is going because if if something's really lame and you're really good at it that's that could be a good reason why god wants you to be there all right because you're meant to contribute that okay that's just kind of how it works sometimes people say things like i'm not getting anything out of it uh, they can have stylistic differences their friends can change the church that they go to is anyone getting uncomfortable or is that just me and some of you might go hang on hang on you said before that you're a leader in a church somewhere else in Toowoomba all right yes I was all right and I happen to be the leader here okay so that actually tells you that there are some times where it's appropriate to leave a church all right now I'm not going to stand up here and give you a, a, a list of 35 provisos that you have to fulfill or maybe 35 scenarios that suit someone leaving a church you've got to be the judge of that between you and God but you know sometimes in churches there's a difference in vision okay now I just want to read a quick scripture out of uh, Acts chapter 6 and then I'll talk a little bit more okay In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, those are the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. It's a problem in the church, right? The widows are not getting looked after. There's no social security. There's an issue, all right? The 12 summoned, the 12 disciples, summoned, or the apostles, I should say, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God. And to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute full of the spirit and wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the world the word so there's an issue right they get they get everyone together and they say we've got a problem let's find some people that can help out with the problem okay so the good thing here is that the people in the church somehow the complaint has made it to the leadership and the leadership decides we've got to do something about that that's a good thing to do and we would love it if there were visionary kind of issues that you brought to our attention okay i'll get to that in a minute and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose stephen a man full of faith and of the holy spirit and philip and prochorus i don't know what that is maybe that sounds like a part of a song and nicanor and timon and parmesan and <laughs> nicholas a proselyte a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's the good news. There's a, there's a conflict, there's a visionary problem uh, within the church. It gets brought to the attention of the leadership. The leadership pray about it, they work out a solution and what happens? The church grows. All right? That's how conflict's meant to work. It's a bit like... Um, some stuff that Joe shared to us about her situation. You get in, you do the dirty work, and then all of a sudden the relationship grows after it. Okay? That's how it's meant to be in churches. All right? So here's what we'd like you to do at the project if you've got an issue or a difference in vision. Okay? Uh, we'd love for you to talk to us. We'd love for you to work through the issues with us. We'd love you to be part of, being, uh, of, of trying to bring about change in a particular area. Okay? 
But you're going to need to be willing to compromise. Whenever you get more than one person in the same place, you're going to need to have some compromise. All right? Uh, there's some stuff probably in the, in the church's vision that's uh, a little bit more... It's pretty concrete, to be honest. It's kind of where we feel God wants us to go and we think it's appropriate for us to stick to that. But what that actually looks like, uh, who knows? All right? And obviously we've got some constraints in terms of time and, uh, and that sort of stuff. All right? uh, I left... Uh, my wife and I and family left the church that, uh, that we were in, that I was an elder in, uh, because there was a difference in vision. Okay? I, um, someone had been saying to me, look, you can't die on every hill. You've got to pick the hill you're going to die on. Right? So I picked the one I was going to die on. We've got a new pastor. I didn't agree with the uh, direction that he was going to go. I tried to bring about a different direction as much as I could, and it became pretty clear that um, it wasn't going to happen. Okay, so then I've got a problem, right? Because I'm just, just, I'm an elder and he's the paid guy, all right? And just so that you know, generally in terms of the church culture, paid guys always win over the guys who are, who are leaders. That's just kind of how it works, all right? I'm not saying whether it should or shouldn't be that way. That's just how it works because they're the one on the ground, okay? Now, I was really determined that I didn't want to be a thorn in this guy's thigh, side, thigh, or side, either one, all right? And... We'd love for you to have a similar attitude, right? Where you just go, I'd love to contribute to the vision of the church, but I don't want to be a thorn in their side. And that doesn't mean you have to leave. It's just that's kind of the overwhelming attitude you need to have. Is I, The last thing the church needs is people doing battle at a leadership level, all right? And some of you have probably been in churches where they do that, and it doesn't end well, all right, for anyone. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It, ju- it just doesn't, all right? So... I tried to work things out with this guy. Myself and a fellow elder sat down with him. We had lots of conversations with him. We tried to work stuff out. And you know what? It got to the point where it wasn't sin, but we didn't agree, all right, about how the church, where the church should go. At that point, it's probably one of the most gutted times I've ever felt in my life. My fellow elder, who we were pretty thick as thieves as, and he's probably in his late 50s by now, he resigned from the eldership, right? And he kind of left the church straight away. And I kind of sat on it. Uh, Angie and I sat on it for a, a month or so. And then I just thought, well, I need to give this guy my blessing and I need to get out of his hair. Because it might be that he's right. It might be that where he's taking the church is where God wants him to take the church. And if I think it's not, then I need to make sure I'm not just going to be the fly in the ointment. So you know what happened in the end? I'm just telling you this. I met with him one night and it was pretty much my last elders meeting. All right? He knew I was going to resign. I met with him. I sat down with him. We weren't trying to sort anything out anymore. The point of the meeting really was just to formalise the fact that that's what was going to happen and I wanted to give him my blessing. So, you know, I'm, not saying, I'm, just, I'm just saying this to help you. I'm not saying this because I, I, I think I'm this wonderful big legend, but I think this is probably the biblical way to go about it. Okay? I, I prayed for him and I prayed that God would bless him and I actually prayed that, I, that God would prove that I was wrong. And I did. I, I, I said, God, I just pray for this man and I pray that I'm wrong about what we're separating over. All right? You know what he did? He prayed for me. He prayed for God to bless me. And then I went into the elders meeting and we did the same thing again. All of the elders prayed over me and I prayed for them. All right? And we went our separate ways. And we gave each other our blessing. And maybe some of you 
haven't sought the blessing of the previous church that you're in or you haven't given a blessing. Pastors' jobs are brutal, brutal jobs a lot of the time. And, and they need to probably, some, maybe from some of you, I'll just throw it out there for you to think about, maybe some of you just need to write a letter of blessing and thankfulness for the effort that, that your pastors put in in the church that you're at prior to this. Okay, man, this is going longer than I thought, but that's, that happens every week, doesn't it? Conflict with church leaders, a few provisos, all right? Inevitably, there's going to be some, there's probably already been some issues. Apparently, people leave because they don't like my preaching, all right? I don't really know anything about it, but if, if you're staying here and there's something I say and you're not happy with it, it's important that we get the thing sorted out, which might mean I have a lineup of 30 people here at the end, but so be it. We'll try and sort it out, but... There's a few provisos about how, uh, biblically, how you guys should sort things out with us. Here we go. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 3 is our job. A good summary of it. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. We're not doing this because we have to, uh, and, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Our job's not to, to dominate you. Our job is not to control you. Our job is not to get you to do stuff so that our life is better. Um, our job is not to do it out of a sense of duty. Our job is to be the leaders of the project here, to bless you and to shepherd you and help you to be more like Jesus as we become more like Jesus. Good goal? Excellent. Here's your job. Hebrews 13 uh, verse 7 and 17 says this. It kind of says you need to respect us. I feel it's awkward to say it, right? But I didn't say it, right? The Bible says it. I mean, I think we should respect each other, but there's a special respect that ought to be given to uh, church leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So he's really saying, however they like Jesus, be like them. All right? So if you see us... And we're like Jesus, you can copy us, all right? If we're not, don't, okay? Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's, kind of, that's, that's the other S word, isn't it? All right? It's not really a big-time love word necessarily, is it? Oh, there's going to be a song and dance in a minute. See, our job is to watch over your souls, right? And part of that, part of that needs to be a, uh, a submission. <laughs> part of that needs to be a submission, all right? There, there's, there's parts of... Um, there's, there's parts of the responsibilities of uh, church leaders that can only be done um, if they have some kind of authority that God's given them to do it, all right? And if people submit, okay? They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Think about this last sentence. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
Has anyone been in a church where the leaders just groan and it's like a grit your teeth, like I've just got to do this and you people are irritating? It, it isn't any advantage to anyone. All right? And so our job is to humbly and in a servanthood kind of way help you and shepherd you. And that's weird because some of you are just way older than us. All right? But that's kind of the role that God's given us to do is, is to lead you and your job is kind of probably to listen to us sometimes. <laughs> All right? Because there's no advantage in someone just grumbling and complaining about having to do their job. Another thing is that you should be slow to accuse leaders in the church. Don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So we really want you to do the Matthew 18 thing with us. All right? And the Matthew 18 thing is uh, if, there's, if you've got a problem with someone else, go and show them their fault. If there's a problem in the leadership, you come and show us our fault. All right? Because if there's a fault and we need to see it and we don't see it, we're going to need someone else to help us to see it. Okay? So come and show us. All right? All right, here's where we finish. The last one's this. Theological conflict. Now, this could well have happened already. All right? You've heard something that we've said and you think, that is not true. That is not biblical. All right? And you know what? As best as we can judge at this point in time, the stuff that we've shared is. All right? But probably, it would be fair to say that stuff that I preached probably 10 years ago has a significant, dif significantly different emphasis to what I have right now. Because your, your understanding of God's truth and your understanding of his revelation changes as you grow up and as you mature and as you learn more things. But I can tell you that there's going to be some things coming up in the upcoming sermon series that it will happen, all right? You're going to disagree with me, all right? Now, the difficulty is, what do we do then? Do we just not preach on anything in the Bible where people have, an, have a disagreement, all right? And I think the biblical response to that is that that's not what you do, okay? So the way that we see it in the project here is that you've got closed-handed things and you've got open-handed things, theologically, all right? Open-handed things are the things that are kind of up for grabs and you're still going to be a Christian, you're still going to end up in heaven whether you dunk someone or sprinkle them, all right? You're still going to get there, okay? The closed-handed things are the things that if you change those things, it makes you not a Christian, okay? So the Bible covers both of those things. People have differing perspectives on things. There are some things, like if you want to say, uh, like the... the, the um, the Muslims say that Jesus' body was taken off the cross or was taken down before he died by crucifixion, right? There was some kind of switcheroo that kind of happened on there, right? We're just going, no, nah, that's a different team, all right? Because if you're just kind of saying Jesus didn't die, that kind of wrecks everything for Christians. That's kind of the end of the section, okay? So here's the thing. The things that are in the closed hand are the things that we'll divide on, right? So we'll just say, no, nah, we're, uh, we're different to you, okay? The big problem is that a whole bunch of open-handed things in, in Christianity and in churches sneak into the closed hand, all right? People say, if you don't dunk, you're not on our team, right? And some churches say, if you don't speak in tongues when you've got the Holy Spirit, you're, you're not a true spirit-filled Christian, right? And here's the thing. We think those things are in the open hand. Now, far be it for me not to have an opinion, the church will have an opinion on open-handed stuff, right? And the open-handed stuff is only going to be more critical when you're at the top 
or the higher levels of leadership in the church, right? And I'm not saying that in terms of significance or any of that sort of stuff, but it's pretty important that, that Diff and Nathan and I have a, a pretty high degree of unity on, on, on the beliefs, the theological beliefs we have, because that, that can get really difficult in leadership when people have different levels of unity in, in theological belief. Does it, everyone cool with that? It just gets messy. Okay, so here's the thing. We're going to try and justify why we think the open-handed issue, why we take the position that we take. All right? And some of you just go, well, why not even, let's not even have to have an opinion because that's not biblical to not have an opinion. All right? The Bible makes you responsible to make sure that you have a conviction about things that people have different interpretations on. All right? Let me give you the scripture. And it's, anyone here, this is the vegetarian scripture in the Bible. All right? Here we go. Romans 14, verse 1 to 5. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't have a fight about your opinions. You can talk, but don't have a fight. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Right? Obviously, vegetarians are weak. That's what it's saying. <laughs> All right? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the meat-eater, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's a critical piece. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. All right? You need to have an opinion. And the relativistic view of our culture is you don't need to have an opinion on stuff. Yeah, have an opinion, but don't fight about it. All right? That's really what Paul's saying in Romans. Have an opinion, but don't fight about it. So if you find something in the church that you don't think is biblically true, come and talk to us. All right? We'll try to do our best to understand it. We could be wrong. All right? Just in case you guys haven't noticed yet, we're not perfect and we don't, we don't have infinite knowledge. Okay? So just come and talk to us and try and show us where we might be wrong. All right? Make sure you understand it properly. It could be your problem. All right? It might be you that doesn't understand it properly. And I'm not, not saying that in a rude, kind of arrogant way. I'm just saying that's as much as it could be our problem, it could be yours. All right? So you do your homework on it as well. All right? Talk to one of the leadership. Highlight if it's a significant issue for you. Feel free to say to one of the leadership, look... Uh, can you please take this to a leadership meeting with Biff and Nathan as well? Like if, if you came up to me and said, I've got an issue, take it to them. If you think, the guy's too scary, right? He's probably going to shoot me if we come and talk to him. All right, just write me a little letter, all right, and I'll table. Just, if any of this sort of stuff comes up, just know it's just going to go to a leadership meeting and we're going to have a talk about it, all right? Because I could be wrong. And the cool thing about having Biff and Nathan on board is they tell me when I'm wrong, in their view, all right? And I'll tell them when I think they're wrong. And you just take it to a greater forum. And then if there's an even bigger problem than that, we've got TCC. Ian Shelton basically said to me the other day, I'm happy to be a mediator. If, if you guys run into trouble with some stuff, help, get me to come in. All right? So, and it's not like Ian's our friend. Well, he is our friend, but he's not like he always votes with us. Right? He'll, he'll vote in the direction that, that it needs to be voted in. All right? But don't, here's the thing. Don't talk to other people. Oh, jeez, I've got to finish. Don't talk to other people in the church... <laughs> and create division, all right? You know, like, we don't want to come to church and the vegos are on here and the meat eaters are over here. You with me? That would be uncool, okay? And the thing is, 
in churches sometimes, it's like the pastor walks in and he just goes, well, this is weird. They normally eat on the right. So why they eat? You know why? Because there's been some lobbyists going around, some vegetarian lobbyists going around and saying that it's evil to eat meat, right? And so all of a sudden, we're like a wedding where the bride and the groom's parents sit on different sides and it's just weird. So come and talk to us about it and don't, don't go and create factions. Churches don't need factions, all right? Churches have factions, a lot of them. They don't need them, all right? Come and sort your stuff out with us. Deal with us first, all right? All right, I'm going to finish. Is everyone okay? This, this is, has this been okay? Or is you know, some of you just going, that's it, I'm never coming back? Here's the last one. I'm going to do this quickly. Personal conflict. Like you don't like red check shirts or something, right? You get what I'm saying? You come to church and you just, that is a, that's an irritating, I'm a vegetarian, right? And he's just really offended me today, okay? And there might be sometimes you look at one of us and you go, you're an idiot, man, that's a really dumb, you know what, we might be an idiot. So come and help us, all right? Gain your brother, okay? Gain your brother. Gain your brother. Come and talk to us and gain your brother, all right? Don't set up a faction. Come and talk to us about it. Don't gossip about it. Uh, understand that you've got an interpretation on something that other people mightn't have. So it's probably okay if you go to someone and say, hey, I saw Peter and he was patting a cat out the front of church when uh, worship was on. You, is that okay? All right. And the other person goes, no, no, that's totally okay. It was sent by God. All right. The I'm just making it up. But you get what I'm saying? Like, just get someone else's interpretation. We're happy for that, right? But don't, it's like, you know, a Christian form of gossip is like prayer points. Can you pray for Peter? Because he's an idiot, right? He's, he just can't get anything together and I'm just irritated with his check shirts and that he eats meat, all right? But please talk to us. We're not perfect. I understand there's a power imbalance because uh, you guys might feel a little bit intimidated by coming and talking to us. So feel free to write a letter, but don't expect one back as the first thing, right? Because the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to look at it. Hopefully, we'll, uh, the plan is to examine our hearts, probably take it to a leadership meeting, and then we're going to sit down and talk with you. Okay? There might be a letter at the end. Who knows? All right? But that'll only just confirm what we talked about. Okay? We're not going to do the to and fro thing uh, with, uh, with emails and letters at all. Our kids aren't perfect. Get that into your head, right? You would, if you've hung around the Sondergirl boys enough, you don't need to because it's already there. Okay? And please don't set us up. Um, my dad got a late call one night from a, uh, a man in his church. Yeah, I think he got it at like 9.30 or quarter to 10 at night. He was asking dad to have a meeting with someone the next afternoon. Um, dad rocks up at this meeting the next afternoon. He notices there's a couple of other elders' cars there that he didn't know anything about. Gets in there and the dude's got like 45 complaints against my dad that he's written down and he goes through it in some kind of ambush. All right? I'm just letting you know... If that was me, I'd probably just do a U-turn and keep driving, okay? And probably send a text to the elders telling them to get out of there, okay? Because that's not gaining your brother, okay? That's actually an execution, okay? And we only shoot wolves, we don't shoot leaders and we don't shoot each other, all right? So just know that that's, uh, that's how that's going to happen. Um, I'm done.
This was harder than I thought it would be. I thought it was going to be fun. I hope there were some fun bits in it. Um, I, I might just pray. And um, there's just one other little thing. We're going to hopefully keep the kids in kids' church uh, for a little bit longer because we just want to show you a couple of things. Um, and then we're done. Okay? Mm, let's pray. <laughs> This must be really super. Well, if it was us, God, we'd just be frustrated. The way that your kids carry on sometimes, the way that we carry on. Yet you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. So you're up to something. You're up to something in the midst of conflict in the church. You're up to something even in the midst of division in your church. Your word says that uh, what a blessing it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. So I just pray, God, that there'd be much unity in this church. God, that we wouldn't put open-handed things in the closed hand and fight about it. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who, this is, it's painful because it, uh, it brings up stuff that's happened in the past that was very painful and some of the worst hurts get handed out by churches and by Christians. God wants you people to know, if you're in that category, that he was there and he saw it. He watched it. He's kept a record of it. Not only that, but he's counted your tears. And the Psalms say that he's kept your tears in a bottle. He was there when you were unfairly treated and when you were unfairly hurt and he was there when you did that to other people and you were treated people unfairly and when you hurt other people and he loves you and he loves his church and he wants less of that he wants less hurt he wants less hurt people and he wants less people who hurt people. God, help us to be really super loving. God, that many people would be drawn to you by just observing what goes on between people in the project. Not because they don't have conflict, but they love each other in the midst of it. 